Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Great to have you with us. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Ryan Snyder on the show tomorrow. We'll talk recruiting, especially with the move of Joe Moorhead to Mississippi State. Joe was officially announced today and had his press conference in Starkville. And we'll talk about the recruiting angle to that, the early signing period. We'll discuss college all, excuse me, high school all-star games, late signing period, 10th coach as well, all with Ryan Snyder tomorrow. Kim Jones tomorrow. She knows the New York Giants situation as well as anyone. She has interviewed Eli Manning many, many times in her career. We'll get her thoughts on the Eli Manning situation with the Giants and other NFL news tomorrow as well. And my brother with picks on the show tomorrow. Will be a lot of fun. Few moments. We'll be joined by the outstanding Andrew Callahan from Twenty Four Seven Sports. But first, our play-by-play call of the day. Pass goes right corner. Flalo back to the left wing. Augustine guarded by Carmelo. He'll go right by him. Throws it to the rim. He's got Bismack up there. Bada bing, bada biz. Magically by nineteen with seven nineteen left. And Orlando beat Oklahoma City last night, 121-108. to The call courtesy of WDBO in Orlando. All right, let's uh, bring in Andrew Callahan, 24-7 Sports. Welcome back. It is always great to hear you. Well, thanks for having me on. Okay, uh, your reaction to Joe Moorhead becoming the head football coach at Mississippi State? It's about time. You know, we all know the tremendous job has done for Penn State elevating its offense a year ago, 14 more points per game in 2016 versus 15. This year it's over 41, and I think the only question was a matter of fit because the furthest west he had ever coached was in Akron a number of years ago. Pretty much been a northeast guy, but when you look at this position, SEC school in an excellent spot with the top of team recruiting class, it's well intact after Dan Mullen is essentially leaving for a little bit better job. I mean, this is a perfect situation, and obviously he couldn't say no. Well, and then, you know, the the part is, though, he is going to go, and he knows what it's like to coach at a tough division. I mean, he knows that. And the uh, – but he's going to go into a division where right now, on paper, you're fighting for third place. Sure. And you know what, also, too, you know, he's got to maintain coaches there, I would imagine, to – Still keep some relationships with respect to recruiting because now he doesn't have to travel perhaps much as he did in previous jobs. Um, you know, Penn State excluded to draw out certain talent. So yeah, you know, initially I think the the expectations will be low. It's a new staff. You're looking up at Alabama and Auburn, but there's no doubt in my mind that he's a guy that's going to say we are going to attack them and then put ourselves at the same tier. It'll take some time, but um, it'll be really interesting in the next couple of days to see what kind of staff he puts together. Andrew, when you look at Penn State, for example, uh, you know it's not surprising that Joe Moorhead gets a head coaching job out of it, returning to being a head coach. But it's also a compliment mm-hmm. that your program happens to be one that's doing so well, people want to tap into it to get a head coach. 
For sure. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, Steve, because on the site, you know, now that we've recently merged Alliance 24-7 with Fight on State, Mark Brennan just penned a column saying, listen, this is a good side for Penn State for the same reason you just mentioned. And you look back at the coaching tree that had been in, in place under Joe Paterno, and there just wasn't a whole lot of transition. Coaches leaving for other jobs that, you know, were a step up. And here you have Joe Moorhead, only been there two years. Obviously, it's a credit to him first and foremost, but it just speaks to the success Penn State's had, the, the quality decisions James Franklin has made in building a staff and then adding new pieces. And, you know, it, it'll only garner more attention when they keep building on 10-win seasons to say, okay, who else is behind Franklin generating all its success? And, and Moorhead was obviously the biggest piece, but I'm sure more coaches, coaches are going to see attention as a result of, of all this winning. When you look at the staff James Franklin originally hired, and several are still here, and then the adjustments he's made to the staff when he's had to, what does that should that give Penn State fans confidence moving forward because of what he's already established in his hires? I think so. You know, the big note when Joe came aboard, you know, James always told the story of seeing him at a clinic and being very impressed. And I think that's more common than you would see when coaches are out traveling and attending clinics or giving talks because, you know, the people who are allowed to speak are, of course, those the best in their business. But the other note that sticks out to me is that Joe checked off a lot of boxes for Penn State when they went and utilized the firms that they, they employ for analytics and how his offense was able to not only be efficient but generate explosive plays. Uh, how good they were in the red zone, how creative they were. So I think he'll rely on those same tools unless it's going to be an in-house hire, at which point you're keeping the same system. You know who you work with and have worked with for years. You know, those tools and that firm obviously did a great job with Joe, and if they're going to return to those same wells, I I would presume they're going to yield similar successful results. Yeah, because you look at the staff that is still in place and the quality work they've done, then you add in a Matt Grover, you add in a Tim Banks, they added in, of course, a Joe Moorhead. If they elevated mm-hmm. a Brett Pride, a defensive coordinator. It just I see that pattern of moves and says, okay, Penn State's football CEO knows what he wants to do and why he wants to do it. Right, and it's not only just a matter of you can identify good coaching talent, but it's a fit within the program. And we've we've heard James speak so often about, you know, I've become better as a coach, but it's not so much that I've changed. It's just I've, I've come to know more about Penn State and the people to speak to and what you need to handle and how you need to handle it. And you look at Brent Pry, I think he certainly benefited from, you know, being more in a linebacker's coaching role, seeing Bob Shoup lead as a defensive coordinator and then dealing with the new offenses that they're going to see, you know, week in and week out. And then he's able to take that experience as Bob went through it he leaves for Tennessee he steps in with his own ideas because he's a very good coach but he benefits from that so I think James is is good at identifying that quality talent but also talent you know just like players that are going to fit within the program at Penn State from a coaching perspective Uh, your thoughts Andrew on how the season closed the regular season for Penn State you know, the biggest takeaway I had in those last three games, of course, you know, they, they lose back-to-back, and, and it's a matter of, okay, college football playoff dreams are dead. What do you do from here? Penn State, in my mind, got back to the team that it always wanted to be. I mean, the one adjective we heard so much from James in the first three weeks, you're blowing out Georgia State, Akron, you beat Pitt, was that they were a complete team. We had not seen a complete game from them, in my mind, since they beat Michigan, you know, on the whiteout back on October 21st. And then you go all this time until Maryland, and, you know, again, we heard that word crop up again. It's a 66-3 win. They were dominant from start to finish. You're forced to turn over on special teams. You're scoring all the time on offense. And defense, you know, is just one measly field goal away from a shutout. That's a complete game. And that's the complete team they wanted to be. So as much as you, you weren't able to establish we're not going to the playoffs, you were able to still get back to the identity that you forged early on 
and, and that you want it to be. And I think that's critically important because, of course, you, you're still going to have one game left. It's going to be a big game, a New York Six Bowl, and you want to be at your best. And I think Penn State, even against lesser competition, has been able to return to the best version of itself. It's only the third recruiting cycle that they'll have where they have 85 scholarships available under James Franklin. Mm -hmm. It's not that they have had three. They're going into their third. In reality, how remarkable it is, is it that they've gone 11 wins, 10 wins this season, and for the first time in 31 years, probably are going to go to a back-to-back New Year's Six. Yeah, I think it is remarkable. And, you know, especially when you consider certain factors, you know, like a year ago, all the injuries they dealt with early on. And, and every program is going to deal with that, face some form of adversity. But you're competing in a tough division. You've had players in key spots go down. You know, again, year three, you're still dealing and relying on veterans who you didn't necessarily bring in yourself. But this year, it's a testament not only just to be able to build off of what you inherited, but now this season you're, you're looking at Saquon Barkley or Trace McSorley, even, you know, a Grant Haley player that frankly either took with him from Vanderbilt or recruited here in his very first season and that they clearly hit on them. The early classes were great even when the numbers weren't there and now that they're at full numbers, I mean, we all see the rankings right now. At the top three classes in the nation, they're still in position to, to add to that with, with top-tier talent. Um, and again, it goes back to just a great job at evaluating people that are going to fit here and that, that are talented uh, and can come to Penn State and thrive. Uh, your thoughts on the... Uh final four released this week uh, leading into the championship games any surprises to you as to how the top 10 played out no I don't think so you know I mean we, we talked about this I think a couple of weeks ago I don't put a whole lot of stock into the rankings you know until it's the final version but I think what the committee does you know when you get into those really sticky situations of it that could you know a hair here or, or a swing there that they you know for i remember a couple of years ago they kept tcu and baylor both out and the question leading up to that that final rankings was who's going to make it in you know they've had the head-to-head matchup and who's, who's going to be left out well they left both of them out so right now i think you know if the conference championships um you know unfold for the most part as expected you know clemson will stay auburn georgia winner will get in if wisconsin wins it's in um and you know again the only tricky issue would be if they're having to pick between alabama and ohio state but you know for right now where things stand i think they they've done a good job and it'll be really interesting though to see how you know they finally do have to make a tough decision and whether they kind of go the easy route of leaving everybody out um or if they have to pick between those two schools in particular which one they lean toward does Ohio State legitimately deserve consideration if they win in your mind, or are they getting too much of a pass compared to other programs? You know, I, I don't know if it's so much of a pass compared to other programs, but in my mind, no, they do, they do not deserve consideration. I mean, it was a huge loss against Iowa, obviously. They lost to Oklahoma. And then let's say, you know, you're a Clemson that, that has a, a second loss and say Miami wins. So Miami would be in, you got your SEC champ. Um, you know, potentially Wisconsin. But Clemson might have an argument to even have a better resume than Ohio State does as a two-loss team that didn't win a, you know, a conference championship because they had a quality loss and it wasn't in such an embarrassing fashion, barring Miami, you know, blows them out. So I think Clemson would still be in there, Alabama would be in there, but, but Ohio State's losses are just too damning in my mind to allow them to go on. They're a good team, but, but they're bad is bad, and I think that's something you can't say about the teams that are above them and, and are in that place for good reason. Then in your opinion, why are they talked up so much? <laughs> it's a fair it's a fair question. I think, you know, one of the really underrated elements when you're seeing these rankings unfold, and to a degree you understand it, but is recency bias. You know, what have you done lately? I mean, you, you can't 
fail to penalize teams for losing, but I think it's it's important to take that into context. I mean, you know, you say you look at a team that has a close loss, like when Penn State lost, for example, Ohio State. Was that a much different team right after the loss as opposed to one that walked into kickoff? I mean, no. I mean, they were underdogs going in there. They, they led for the majority of that game. Of course, they're going to fall in the rankings, but I think you see teams suffer. So for Alabama, you know, they've got a legitimate argument saying, listen, you thought we were the best team coming in to this season in the country. We maintained that ranking basically from start to finish, and the only loss that we had was to a potential playoff team who was our rival, and it was on the road. So, you know, they've been punished because, again, it's the, it's the game that's freshest in our minds, that recency bias plays a role. Um, but it's just, you know, beyond that, Ohio State's been good as of late, so that thus plays in their favor. Uh, but other than that, I couldn't tell you beyond recency bias why the Buckeyes are getting so much love. I was blown away by the Illinois win. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much, Andrew. It's always a pleasure. Hey, not a problem. Thank you, Steve. We'll chat soon. Andrew Callahan, 24-7 Sports. They've now merged with Fight on State. Coming up tomorrow, Ryan Snyder will talk about all the moving parts with Penn State football, which is expected at this time of the year. When you're a successful program, you're going to have moving parts. Uh, that's why Tom Herman, for example, who'd been the OC at Ohio State, moved and got the Houston job. You know, their defensive coordinator, you know, how many defensive coordinators now has he gone through? at Ohio State because they've moved on to other jobs along the way. And, you know, that's what happens at successful programs. Well, Penn State is now a successful program. The bottom line is, as much as you have moving parts uh, with the football program, James Franklin is still there. That's the part that you need to keep in place. It is, remember... It is his vision, how he wants to play, who he wants to recruit. And then you hire really good people to help execute that vision. But it starts with him. And he's done a good job of hiring people to take care of the other parts. And that's why they've been hired by other people. All right, we'll come back with more in a moment as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. News Radio 1070 WKOK, the daily item, BB&T and the Milton and Sunbury Salvation Army have again teamed up to brighten the holidays for less fortunate families in our area with the Needy Family Fund. Visit WKOK.com to find out more about the families that are being helped this year and to see how you can help us brighten the holidays. You can even contribute in person at any branch of BB&T. Thank you and happy holidays from News Radio 1070 WKOK. Obviously, here at Penn State, we have been used to incredible stability when it comes to the football program. Uh, And, you know, with Joe Paterno being here for 46 years, and hardly any members of that staff moved off the staff. I remember Brian Norwood leaving. Everybody went, Brian Norwood's leaving? Now what are we doing? And then they hired Kermit Bugs, and Kermit came in, and Kermit was doing a great job. But hardly anybody left that staff. I mean... Tom Bradley was on that staff from the late 70s until 2011. You know, it's uh, 
And so that's what we've been used to. And then, of course, Bill O'Brien came in, then he left after two years, and then leaving after two years, it was like, oh, my goodness, now what's going to happen? Well, they hired James Franklin. And James Franklin has essentially the same philosophy in a lot of ways that Joe had. He, you know, he wants his assistants taken care of. He wants to make sure that, the, you know, if, when they're at Penn State, they feel like they're in the best situation going. And at the same time, we're in a new era now. And in this new era, when there is an opportunity to move up, they are going to look at your people because you're successful. That's why he always keeps that Rolodex with five or six names at each position that he keeps updating all the time just in case he needs to make a call to someone. And if you have somebody like a Brent Pry on the staff that you just look at and say, you know, I don't need to look outside, and then move him up, and then you hire a Tim Banks to come in. Uh to round out your defensive staff, I mean, you've done your job. I mean, and this is why he's doing all this stuff. That's why. I mean, that's just, that's your leader always being organized. That's your leader always staying a step ahead. And let's face it, we're in a spot we're in college football right now that with the December 20th signing day coming up, you want to make sure that you're going through your process, and through your process, you want to make sure you have everybody in place. That way you're keeping your class in place, and, and you continue stability. But the bottom line is, everything that you see at Penn State, how they play defense, how they play special teams, how they play offense, these are all the vision of the head coach who's done a great job of hiring people to come in and execute that vision. In the end, that's, that's the rudder. The rudder of this program is James Franklin. And he stayed here all four years, and they have several others who have stayed here the entire time. Josh Gaddis has been here the entire time. Ricky Ronnie's been here the entire time. Sean Spencer's been here the entire time. Brett Pry's been here the entire time. Terry Smith's been here the entire time. To this point, you know, Charles Huff. I mean, you've had, you know, they've been here all four years. We've been used to stability here. But you know what? This is a different era now. And the different era is not Penn State's ability to be stable with the coaching staff. The different era now is that you have people that want to come in, hire your coaches, offer them big money to be a head coach, move up the ladder. Maybe somebody move up to be an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator someplace, and so they do it. And that's a compliment to the great job you're doing along the way. You have to replace them. You have to replace them along the way. And they pointed out Ohio State. I mean, look at all the movement, for example, the great success Alabama's had. Well, Alabama's had success with Jim McElwain as the offensive coordinator. They've had success with Lane Kiffin as the offensive coordinator. They've had, you know, they've had success with uh, Kirby Smart as the defensive coordinator. Well, all of them went on to become head coaches someplace else. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. 
All right, great to have you with us on the show today. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And uh, again, uh, the movement that we have along the way with uh, so many uh, moves, and look, and we understand that um, the uh, when you're successful, this is what happens. And and that's what's happened with Penn State. And because Penn State has been successful to this point, especially the last couple of years, you're going to get people who want your people. And already what's happened is that you now have a track record for Penn State with James Franklin that when he has had to make a move to replace someone, you can, you ask, has he been successful in replacing that person? And the question is, yes, he has been. And that's the part that's really a plus in all of this for Penn State. I will say this with the group of friends that I follow that I hang with that are Penn State fans. I mean, in the past, if there would have been a, a coaching staff move, there would have been shock and surprise. But uh, within the last almost 48 hours, everyone that I've either spoken to or texted when, when the story broke on Thursday night, they'd reply back to me, no surprise that, that, more, that, that, that Coach Joe has left. So I think now they know what kind of program Penn State is now and just the state of college football is now. I mean, there's going to be moving and shaking from time to time. Right. No question. No question. And uh, and I think that that, again, there's a confidence to it because of the pride. Again, he you know, he stays ahead of all this. And because he has stayed ahead of all of it, it has made an incredible difference. It's made an incredible difference. And I think that uh, because it has, I think it gives you a real confidence. I mean, they, he's really on top of it. Because he's really on top of it, it is, uh, that's what's where, the, where the difference has come in. He's just really on top of it. And, and I think that's, that, to me, above all, that is... Uh, uh, that's that's the key to all this. I mean that that's the key to all this. Uh, that fact he's he's absolutely on top of it. College football playoff, of course, coming up this weekend, or not this weekend, but the uh, championship games this weekend that will determine who gets into the college football playoff. I really believe Wisconsin's going to win the game. That's the big part. I really believe Wisconsin is going to win. And. Uh, I 
when I look at when I look at Wisconsin, I I look at them and I see that you know <laughs> that they've got a lot going. They, they don't have a great passing game, so let's I mean let's be very blunt about that. And that's kind of surprised us with Hornibrook being in there for so long. Yeah, but you know what? I mean, he's another one of those guys where I'm not just I'm not sure if he hasn't topped out where he's supposed to be. I only bring that up just with the fact that it just seems like he's been yeah. the starter now for quite some time. Okay, when did the light go off? Now, when is that offense going to go to another level? Right, and I, you know, I just don't, I don't know, I don't see it. I don't see it. But yeah, early Sunday afternoon when we get the matchups and everything, it'll just be interesting to see how we deal with the top three teams if we're going to see chalk, and then the X factor is going to be Wisconsin. It's that burning question when you and you know <laughs> and Donnie Collins making that revelation <laughs> when he woke yeah. up yesterday morning. I'm thinking <laughs> realized he's going to be live on the radio making the res- re- revelation. He's going to be you know bad if he had a choice between Ohio State or Alabama, he'd have to <laughs> he right. had to pull the trigger on Alabama. So, <laughs> well, I mean that yeah, that's that's the hard part right there is that you know he's, uh, who do you pick between those two? And it, you know it's I don't know it's. Ah, uh, it's, uh, it's a beauty contest in the end. I don't care what anybody says. But yeah, Wisconsin getting the win, though, that will, uh, that'll solve some issues for sure. No, it would solve a lot of issues if they were to get that. Uh, they were, I mean, that would solve a lot of issues. Um, and I think that uh, that's going to be a, a big part of this. Uh, I mean, you. If Clemson wins, they're in. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um. And if uh, Auburn wins, I think they're in. I think that uh, if let's see, Auburn wins, they're in. Clemson in their win. Oklahoma wins, they're in. I think Wisconsin wins they're in. The question's gonna be if anybody stumbles and loses. And that's the issue right there. And I think that's that's the big one right there. I mean, it's like if somebody loses now, all heck breaks loose. Now if Georgia wins over Auburn with one loss and that one loss to Auburn, they redeem themselves, I think they get in. I think they're the ones that take Auburn's spot. You can't put a a one-loss Georgia behind a two-loss Ohio State if they win. There's also a hesitancy, I think. I think there's a hesitancy about uh, Ohio State if they win because of the two losses when they occurred. Crazy. That's definitely the key, Steve, because it was earlier in the decade when Ohio State had a very early loss uh, I believe it was Texas. It was part of that two-year home-and-home that they had. And that I believe that was the year when they made the championship run, or at least they made it into the final game. And I'm thinking, okay, boy, how are they going to bounce back from that? And sure enough, they did, and you get to the tour of the postseason, it's like, oh, that's right, they lost, but that was way back in September. So, yeah, it's, a more, well, it's well, like that what-have-you-done-for-me-lately mentality. Right. The, pre-B, the pre-college football playoff era in the BCS – you had that one 
year, for example, where um, where Alabama didn't win the division, which meant they didn't go to the SEC championship game, but they got to the national championship. So in a year where you really feel, you know, it, don't you think it's that for most college football teams, win division checkbox, win uh, conference title checkbox, win national championship checkbox, they didn't check two of the boxes and won the national championship. <laughs> I mean, that could be Alabama again this year. It could be. Now, if everything runs the table as it stands now, all four would be conference champions. All four would be, uh, well, Oklahoma would not be a division champ. They don't have divisions in the uh, in the Big Twelve, but that's uh, that's to me that's an amazing thing. To me, that's an amazing thing, and to see this play out, there's going to be a call for eight out there, right? There'll be a call for eight. And you're going to get this call for eight, Sean, every single year. Oh, I've every heard that year. more than once already this week. Yeah, you're going to get that call for eight every single year. You know, it's funny because I asked you during one of the breaks earlier this week how many more years, uh, how many more years do they have? You know, locked, sealed up as to it's going to stay four. And I'd asked if it was what five more years. Yeah. Something like that. That sounds, that sounds right. Yeah, I think it. I think it's. I want to say it goes through twenty twenty four. So it go through twenty. I think it's six more years. But would they have and, the power at any time to go in, tear that up, and draw up a new agreement? Oh, there's got to be something in there that allows them. Look, it's their organization. Do anything they darn well please. <laughs> you know, they're not regulated by Congress. <laughs> so, <laughs> will it get to the point where the outcry will be too loud that they would have to? They'd be forced to go to eight games or eight teams. Well, my question is going to be that if you do that, if you do that, then uh, what do you do with the conference championship games? Do you add? Do you add one? layer of this to it, which means you're going to add games of the season. So in other words, say you're in a conference championship game, it's 13. Okay, now you get to a quarterfinal, that is okay, and a quarterfinal means that there's going to be eight teams. So eight teams, let's do this as a minimum of five, all right, because it'd be five conference champions, three at large. So the three at large may not play in the championship game. Now they may be a loser in a championship game uh, for the conference, but let's just say it's three at large. Let's just, for the sake of argument, say that they weren't. Okay. Penn State might be one of those eight. They're not in the championship game. So you would have. So it'd be five a pretty good. So it'd be a pretty right. good bet. The three team, the three at large right. teams. Right. Ninety nine percent sure they'd have one loss. Right. But my point is number of games. You play in a conference championship game, five schools would have 13. So that gets them to the quarterfinals. So now you get five playing a minimum of 14. Then you'd have to have potentially a minimum of four playing 15 and then two playing 16. Now, by playing 16 games, you're now at an NFL schedule. It's the NFL regular season, 16 games. Now, two out of 130 would play 16 games under that scenario. Four out of 130 would play 15 games. 
and four out of 130, because it would be the four losers, would play a minimum of 14 games out of 130. And out of that 130, what, what, how many bowl games do we have now? 38? That sound right? Mm, 38, 40, something like that, yeah. All right, it's to say 38, 76 teams. So you got 76 playing 13 games minimum anyway. So you'd have two playing three extra, two others playing two extra, and you'd have four playing one extra. So the, is that good enough to meet your standard of who's playing? Is that is that good enough to meet the standard of how many games in the season and expanding it one extra round and keep the conference championship games? So it's just, I think it's something to ask. I think it's reasonable to ask. Looking at it really, really, really long term, let's say a year or two down the road, they they expand it from four to eight teams. Then you look maybe another three to five years down the road because these schools schedule games you know so many years ahead. It just makes you wonder how the strength of schedule for these Power Five schools are are going to hold up if you're going right. to be playing all these extra games. Right. Just with hearing a lot, to, just with hearing a lot right. about strength of schedule here over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, you hear about strength of schedule and so forth. Nobody knows what its strength of schedule really is in the end. I mean, Alabama, you know, it depends on where you play them. There's a lot of things. Florida State was the third-ranked team in the country on opening night. Francois was, DeAndre Francois was their quarterback. Well, with DeAndre Francois as their quarterback, Florida State's a better team than what we're seeing now. And he got knocked out of that game, I want to say, was it near the end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth, he got knocked out? Definitely second half, yeah. Yeah. But that's not the Florida State you'd see today is not the Florida State of that night. So Alabama was trying to play a better schedule. Wisconsin, when they scheduled BYU years ago, BYU was a really good program. Maybe not a great program, but really good. Well, just Wisconsin's luck. Just like that. BYU's not playing well. It's all luck of the draw in some of this, so, you know, especially with your non-conference scheduling. It is luck of the draw. So, I don't know. That's uh, It makes for great conversation, keeping it relevant, though. <laughs> oh, no, there's a lot of conversation. You know, and we get to make picks on it tomorrow. Uh, we'll come back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Penn's Tavern is where you want to celebrate this holiday season. Whatever feel you're looking for, Penn's Tavern along the Susquehanna River can accommodate your needs. Mountain stone walls and wood floors can be found in the original dining area, giving you that old world charm. Continue back to the newly renovated River Room with 12 PA microbrews on tap. Grab a burger and sit back and relax in this cozy pub area. Penn's Tavern has the best gift certificate offer for the holidays. Buy five gift certificates of the same denomination and receive a sixth one free. Penn's Tavern, a piece of on Route 147, five miles south of Sunbury.
All right, uh, great to have you with us on the show today. Uh, don't forget Santa Claus coming up in an hour. The Magic Radio. How about Dick talking about uh, calling in in the late 40s to that earlier in the show? Wasn't that neat? Uh, it just, uh, I'll, uh, it's amazing how, how, much, how much people are touched by this. I'll tell you what, we have to do some calculating. It could take a while, but with the show being on since 1933, I'd have to find the month and the date when, when, it, when it premiered that year. And you figure there's at least four or five kids on per show. And of course, the goal is for each boy and girl to get a great big gold star. Just wonder how many gold stars Santa has handed out in the history of the show. <laughs> they take some research. That's a good one. Man. God, I wonder how many. And I remember, what was it, last year, uh, that memorable on-air moment uh, when the suit sat down on, on, on Santa's lap to tell him what he wanted for Christmas. <laughs> And Santa went, oh. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I thought that was memorable. <laughs> thought I'd pass that along. He wanted his upside-down sign on the door. That was what he asked for, I thought. Well, no? No? That only seems to happen at certain times. That's true. <laughs> I would, I would, Two or three I would times a the, year. <laughs> I would guess the next time might be the 16th. <laughs> All right. Safe travels to Iowa. Yes, I will see America first. Do the show later. <laughs> points. We'll be on. Racking up more yeah. points. You don't get to be gold elite by not showing up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> I mean, it's really bad when you walk into certain places on the road. They go, hi, Mr. Jones. How are you? <laughs> Have another weren't cookie. You, weren't, you, weren't you just here in September? <laughs> You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app.